You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. We know that John 20 and verse 31 says, can you say it with me? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in His name. This is the purpose of the Gospel of John. Certainly, it's the purpose as we see the cross in Jesus' death for us. It is the purpose in the resurrection that we would know that Jesus is the Son of God who has conquered life and death and everything in between. um, And that He is raised from the dead. But we can also see this purpose in one deeply significant moment, and that is in the burial of Jesus. The burial of Jesus is often seen as not much more than an editorial note to the story. Something that we have to talk about in order to keep the story moving, so to speak, and explain what happened next. It makes a great song lyric, doesn't it? They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. We talk about this often as we sing, but it's just kind of the setup for the main event, if you will, and that is the resurrection. We, we sing about this Good Friday, but we want to get to Good Sunday, and so we read it and we move on. Now, on the one hand, I would tell you that that is true. The tomb is a place from which Jesus burst forth from. Amen? It is a good story that Jesus is no longer in the grave, that the tomb is empty, that the stone could not seal Him in, that it was not even possible for the grave to hold Him. It is good news that Jesus is alive. That's next week though. (laughs) This week, we run the very real risk of running past what God has for us in Jesus' burial. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That part of the story, the burial of Jesus, was significant enough that Paul would include it in his definition of the Gospel. And so it is without doubt important that we look at the burial of Jesus and that it should cause us to stop and take note. What is it that caused John to remind us of how Jesus was buried? If you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, beginning at chapter 19 and verse 38 and following. 
The Bible says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Father, we pray that as we come to this end of the crucifixion story, that You would slow us, even as our inclination is to run to the empty tomb. Lord, I pray that You would help us to slow down to see what You, Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts this morning here in the burial of our Lord and Savior. I pray that we would see in this text our likeness to Joseph of Arimathea and to Nicodemus. And perhaps the one here who's never professed Jesus as Lord and Savior would see their need for Christ. And today, would you encourage us at the sealed tomb of Christ with your Gospel that is true at the cross, that is true at the resurrection, but that is just as true here at this sealed tomb. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. <clears throat> so John tells us that Jesus received the sour wine from the soldiers that they gave him. The Bible says that when he had received it, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit and he died. There after that, we read that the last move of these soldiers was to come and to break the legs of Jesus in order to expedite his death. And they came and discovered he was already dead. And at that moment, they pierced his side. And the Bible tells us that blood and water fluid came flowing down from Jesus' side there to the ground. Because Jesus was already dead. He died. Normally, the crucifixion of a criminal, such as those who were uh, accused of the same crimes Jesus was accused of, that is insurrection or sedition, rising up against the government, they would leave this person on the cross to be eaten by vultures. It was a public shaming on the one hand, and on the other hand, it was a public example. So that all those who would rise up against Rome would see their fatal end. But this is not what happened to Jesus. In particular, there are two men that are brought about in this story. One of them requested the body of Jesus. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea was a city of Judah. Not much is known about this city, but the man who was from there, Joseph, 
was a disciple of Jesus. That's what John tells us. We don't know when that happened. We don't know at what point he professed Christ, but he had professed faith in Jesus and become a disciple. What is interesting is that according to Mark 15 and verse 43, Joseph was actually a respected member of the Sanhedrin council. The very ones who called for the death of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, Joseph realized who Jesus was, believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and came to know Him as Savior and Lord. He was converted to faith in Christ. And it was Joseph who asked for the body of Jesus. That's why John adds here, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Normally, this would condemn Joseph in John's eyes for a lack of faith. But Joseph comes to Pilate secretly in allegiance to Jesus. He comes in faithfulness to Jesus, even though he has a touch of fear of his companions. He comes in, in bold stand for Jesus and faithfulness to him and loyalty to him because he'd come to know him. Maybe he was converted before Jesus went to the cross. Maybe it was sometime during the crucifixion. He came to see Jesus there on the cross and realized that he was the Son of God, something like the Roman centurion, and professed faith. But either way, we know that Joseph had become Christian. Well, he was accompanied and assisted by a second man, and this should come as a slight surprise to you. Especially if you've read John chapter 3, a man who is also a member of the Sanhedrin. You've been with us, you'll recall that story. This was a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he came to Jesus by night. John wants us to remember that. See there in verse 39, Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night. John's readers are wanting to, John is wanting his readers to see this image, this story again. Don't forget who Nicodemus was. He was a religious ruler, a teacher of the law, one who demonstrated though that he had very little knowledge of it. And he didn't know what it meant to be born again. Jesus had to explain to him what it meant to be a Christian, even though he had full knowledge of God's word. Now, from there, from that conversation in John chapter 3, we're not told about Nicodemus much. But he resurfaces here, and it seems that Nicodemus, as he's being associated with Joseph of Arimathea, and performing the same actions as Joseph of Arimathea, working together to honor the body of the broken Lord Jesus. It would seem that at this point, Nicodemus has become a Christian. Not to mention that Nicodemus brings some of his own valuables to anoint the, the body of Jesus. He brings what the Bible tells us is 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. That's not a small amount. This is a sacrifice for Nicodemus, and he takes delicate care of the body of Jesus. So, we're not told specifically that Nicodemus was a disciple. But it sure seems that way. John says that 
Joseph was a follower, and perhaps these two followers of Jesus, new Christians, being converted from Judaism and essentially living as Christians among the Jewish rulers. I want you to get this picture this morning. And it's huge when we consider the life of these two men and their burial of Jesus and their faithfulness to Jesus in this moment. Get this. The burial of Jesus proclaims a saving gospel even through a sealed tomb. (laughs) When we talk about the gospel, we want to proclaim the death of Jesus, right? We want to proclaim the resurrection and let people know that Jesus died for their sins and that Jesus rose from the dead. And and we talk about the sealed tomb as if it is bad news. But the sealed tomb is as much a part of the good news of the story as the rest is. Jesus was just as much Lord when He was in the grave as He was when He was on the cross and when He was raised from the dead. It's good news. And it's huge when we consider the Gospel story and our lives in light of that Gospel. When you consider the story of Jesus, this feels like a dead-end road, doesn't it? It feels like the end of the story. The Messiah is dead. His disciples are scattered. They have only to honor His body and remember His legacy, but He's no longer with them. They go back to their normal lives, it seems, of fishing. Even these two religious Men are a part of the Sanhedrin and it seems that this short 33 years that Jesus lived is now over and an era is gone. And these two men are now willing to risk their reputation and even their lives really. They're risking their own crucifixion to honor the body of Jesus and to pronounce Jesus as Lord. And so this is huge when you consider the gospel. That even in the empty tomb, Jesus is still being, or in the sealed tomb, Jesus is still being honored. It's also huge when we consider our own lives. Our lives that are marked by the very death that Jesus died. Death that the Bible teaches came through sin. Every bit of brokenness in our lives, everything that we face, every problem, every heartache, every disease, every bit of brokenness in this world is the result of man's disobedience to God. And many of those choices, many of those messes that we find ourselves in are all kinds of dead-end streets, aren't they? Impossible messes. Irrevocable choices. Irrecoverable mistakes unforgivable wrongs. Sometimes it seems, doesn't it, that our very lives are sealed in the tomb. And it is a reminder that God is working even in the sealed tomb. And that the Gospel is good news even at the grave. No matter what dead end street we find ourselves in, the burial of Jesus still presents and proclaims a gospel that will save you even through a sealed tomb. The gospel is always good news. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried. 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Well, there are in this passage four evidences of that truth. Four evidences of of a saving gospel through a sealed tomb. What is it about the burial of Jesus that we should see as a part of a saving gospel even when it looks like a dead end street? Number one, the burial seals Jesus' death. The burial seals Jesus' death. Why would that be good news? Well, remember back to the conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus, the very one who's now anointing his body. After Jesus has this conversation about being born again, he looks at Nicodemus and he gives him the greatest news in all of the world that God so loved his own God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And listen to what verse 17 says. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Salvation came by the initiative of God. The cross and the the grave and the resurrection was the plan of God from the beginning. Jesus was crucified from the very foundation of the world. This was always God's plan A. It was not plan B. It wasn't create a perfect world and if they can sustain it, maybe everything will be good. It was they won't sustain it and Jesus alone can save them. So I'm still going to create the world and they're still going to fall. And the only way that they will be saved is through my perfect plan of sending my son. The cross, the grave was always the plan. John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. It was always the plan. This is Jesus' will and desire to die for sinners and this is why He came to die So that we who believed upon Him would be saved. So that we would be saved from death and given eternal life. This has always been the plan. If Jesus had not died the death that we deserved, we could never live the life that only He could live. We need to be saved and we can only be saved by His death. There are those in the world, who would try to disprove the resurrection. And they would do so by explaining away the death of Jesus. Maybe Jesus was in a coma. Maybe some other crazy theory. But we need only to read the story to know that Jesus could not have survived the things that He died. Much less the spear piercing His side. Like everything that we read in the text as evidence point to the fact that Jesus did in fact die. Up to and including the fact that the Roman government put Him in the grave and sealed the grave with the soldiers and gave no indication that Jesus was not dead. His death seals 
what he did. And that's huge. It's huge for a saving gospel because a real death had to occur. Not just simply something that looked like death. Not someone who would come and try to make amends for all of our wrong actions. There was a penalty that must be satisfied. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of that sin is death. The death had to be died. And the grave is proof that Jesus died it. A sealed tomb represents a satisfied penalty. Our death has been satisfied. And so according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. That sting and that power had to be experienced for us in our place. And Jesus experienced it. And so the burial of Jesus seals the death of Jesus as real, as transactional, as substitutionary, as sufficient for the work of atoning for sin. And it's evidence of a saving gospel even in a sealed tomb. Secondly, not only is the burial the seal of Jesus' death, the burial shows... God's sovereignty. The burial shows God's sovereignty. So this is, this is good. Don't miss this. John writes in verse 38, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, notice this, for fear of the Jews, he has to ask the permission of Pilate to take the body. Pilate gives the permission. So he comes and takes away the body. The last person you think that's in charge in this whole scene is Jesus. We've seen that if anything, Pilate's in charge, or maybe Joseph of Arimathea, or at least the chain of events. Like, Jesus has no seeming control, right? It puts all the determinative force on what happens in the hands of Pilate and the Jews. Jesus is dead, so they control all the cards. They determine how Jesus is going to be buried or whether he will be buried or not. And then, just when they held all the cards, a servant of the Lord comes and he makes a request. A request. And Pilate, a secular authority, grants the request. And the burial happens. That may not seem so shocking to you until you read Isaiah 53. Because Isaiah 53, verse 8 and 9 says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. That's the crucifixion. It's Jesus, the suffering servant. But listen to verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Now, some extra biblical sources say that this was Joseph's tomb, but there is no question that this is a rich man's tomb at least. This is a garden tomb, probably the word garden implying an orchard or a very large piece of property. 
And the middle of this property was a tomb reserved for the man that owned the property. No one had ever been buried in it. And Jesus is buried there exactly the way Isaiah 53 said it was going to happen. The people who wanted Jesus dead and the man who is responsible for carrying it out ensure that Jesus is buried, listen, according to the Scriptures. It's an amazing picture. You tell me in the story who was in control. Jesus or Pilate? Jesus or the Sanhedrin? Jesus or world powers? Jesus or the church? Now, of course, Jesus is sovereign. God is carrying out His perfect will. A few things to notice about this here. One, Joseph is receiving the body that otherwise would have been left on the cross for the birds to eat. We know that in order for the gospel to be complete, that we needed a bodily resurrection of Jesus. Without the bodily resurrection of Jesus, there can be no bodily resurrection of those who are in Jesus and therefore no eternal life. And if Jesus' body is eaten by vultures, there is no more body to rise. If everything had just followed its course, but God was shaping the course the entire time and His body was preserved in order that it might rise from the dead. Second thing to notice, the tomb was a tomb in the immediate area. It was a garden tomb. Again, like an orchard of trees, this great area. It was the fulfillment of prophecy that He would be buried among the rich, a rich man's tomb. Isaiah announced it. They made his grave with the wicked and a rich man in his death. And then we're reminded that it's the fulfillment of prophecy. And you get to the next chapter. Isn't it the gardener whom they thought they saw? They thought they saw one who was an authority. And Jesus couldn't be an authority because Jesus was dead. But it was, in fact, the risen Christ. We'll see that again next week. Here's the third thing to notice about it. The tomb was a borrowed tomb. No one had been buried there before. So Joseph and Nicodemus bring Jesus' body there and they bury Him, which the text tells us, John kind of gives this, this editorial note, that that, that, that tomb... It's just because it was nearby. It just happened to be nearby. But it was a, a borrowed tomb in which nobody had ever been laid before, which means nobody else could rise from the dead from there. The body of Jesus could not be confused with anybody else. It had to be Jesus. You see, the burial of Jesus shows God's sovereignty. That even, listen, in the most impossible of circumstances, Jesus was still on His throne. Third, the burial of Jesus symbolizes the new birth. The burial of Jesus symbolizes the new birth. John connects this text back to John chapter 3. He says, I want you to not forget that this is the very man who came to me by night, who came to Jesus by night, 
and wanted to know about what I was teaching. And the main thing that I told him is that you must be born again. That was the conversation. According to John 1, those who are born of God, who believe in His name, become children of God. And as children of God, they become heirs. They're heirs with Christ. They inherit eternal life. All of those who put their faith in Jesus receive eternal life. And he's saying to John, or to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this is you, Nicodemus, if you will trust in me, if you will turn from your sin and believe the gospel, you will be born again, born of the Spirit of the living God, and He will rebirth your heart, and you will be made new, and you'll receive eternal life. That's what John 3.16 is about. It's the choice of believing upon this Savior who has come into the world. It's the willingness to turn not from the darkness which you so loved, not turn to it again, but to turn from it and to turn to the light and to trust in Christ. This is why Jesus came. And Nicodemus here is evidencing that perhaps he's now come out of the darkness into the light. He's become new. You see, being a Christian is not about how much you know about God. He knew quite a bit. Becoming a Christian is how much you've been changed into the likeness of Christ through the new birth of the Spirit of God. Being regenerated and born again. Paul helps us with this. I would mark this text down so you can go back to it later. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Here's what the Bible says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, listen to what Paul says, into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. It's as if those who've become Christians have entered into the tomb with Jesus. We've been crucified with Christ. And that old man is now dead and has been buried with Jesus. That's what Paul says. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. And he says there's a reason. In order that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Do you see the new man there? New life. New birth. For if we've been united with Him in a a death like His, namely being born again, dying to the old man, living to the new man, becoming a new creation, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection Like His. And he says in verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that, two things, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that, number two, we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So what happens is, Paul is taking the death of Jesus and symbolically tying it to our death in Jesus. Saying that we've been buried with Christ. And two things happen. Number one, 
the record of sin is eliminated. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? The body of sin, speaking about like a document that holds legislative guilt over you, that body of sin is gone. It's gone. That's what Paul said. And not only is the record of sin eliminated, our slavery to sin is terminated. We're no longer to live like we once lived. The new man rises up out of the grave. Isn't that right, Brother Curtis? We're climbing out of that grave and the new man that is run out of the grave is the one who has come from the darkness into God's marvelous light. It's new life. The, 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 the sealed tomb is good news in, in as much as it holds and contains and enslaves the one who was once enslaved to sin so that the new man whom Christ has created, the new man whom Christ has set free, might live to the glory of God. And Jesus, listen to this, Jesus who came out of the grave because the grave could not contain Him, seals in the grave the one who we once were no longer to be seen again. This is good news. The burial symbolizes new birth, and that is evidence of a saving gospel, even when it is a sealed tomb. There's one more. One more evidence here of this wonderful good news in perhaps on perhaps the worst day. And that is that this burial summons our faith. This burial summons our faith. Joseph of Arimathea, he was a man who was hard and calloused. A man whose faith was really more ritual. Empty routine. A set of beliefs. A moral code. But it was never really about God the Father. And his son Jesus. But everything changed for Joseph of Arimathea. When? I don't know. But why? Because he believed upon Christ. Because he had faith. Nicodemus. Teacher of the law. One who had understanding of all of the things of God. But all of it was just legalism. He had no idea what it meant to be born again. But now... It seems he's a follower of Jesus. He's come to honor Jesus because he's come from the darkness into light. How does that happen? Jesus told him by faith. The story of these two men is more than a record for us to read about the burial of Jesus. The story of these two men is to show us that even calloused, legalistic, religious murderers can come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And it happens by faith. These things are written that you might what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life in His name. The word summons is kind of a legal term. It's the idea of 
coming at the request of the king. And that request is really more like a command. When the king calls, you don't say no. It's kind of like getting a jury summons. <laughs> when, when the court calls, you don't say no, right? At least you shouldn't say no. You'll end up in jail. Don't say no, right? Well, the king was just crucified on the cross. The king's still seated on his throne positionally even while he's in the tomb. And people, namely Joseph and Nicodemus, are answering the summons. The Gospel is not Jesus, poor, helpless, weak Jesus, sitting in a tomb hoping some people will believe in Him because He's about to rise from the dead and it's really good news and I hope you'll believe it. The story of Jesus' burial is the story that not even the grave could contain Jesus and Jesus is still King of kings and Lord of lords and He not pleads with but commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the Gospel. That's the story of Jesus, you see. And the good news for us is that through faith in Him, we see that we have a saving gospel even in the midst of a sealed tomb. So that's Joseph and that's Nicodemus. What about you? With every head bowed, every eye closed. There is a summons on your life today. The call of the King. And this is not just some worldly king that lives and one day dies. But this is the King of kings and Lord of lords who died in order that we might live. Today, if you would put your faith in Him like two councilmen on the Sanhedrin you today would put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ no matter who you are and what you've done and how dead end your life feels. The Bible teaches that God will save you. And even in the midst of what seems impossible, God brings about a resurrection. A new man who is created new in Christ. And God guarantees because of your faith and what Jesus has done, eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus, that's you. In just a few moments, here, here's what I want to invite you to do. When we stand right in the place where you're standing, you step out of that aisle. Come down this altar. Pastor, today, today I want to be born again. And I'll lead you to Jesus. And Jesus will save you. Others of you in this room, you're battling one struggle or another. But they are not in Christ dead in roads. The same Jesus who died and the same Jesus who was buried and rose again is with you today if you're a follower of Jesus. And no street in your life is a dead end street. Jesus is doing something in your life. Whether you see it or understand it or not, He loves you. And He's working for you for His glory. Would you trust Him today? With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you stand with me all across the room? Today, would you respond to Christ in obedience to His call? The summons of the King 
Jesus, we submit our lives to You right now. We trust in You as King and Lord. And we ask for You to be honored here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.